Hey guys, Sam here. Just very quickly before we start, Guillaume and I have partnered up with Automation Boutique to write a brand new ebook for you guys called Going Beyond the Buzzwords. It's an amazing ebook that goes through all the things about automation, data, and processing that just simplifies the topics just in the way that we do all the time in Corporate Treasury 101. To pick up your copy, just go into the show notes and click on the link or go to the website and find the partners page where we have a link to the ebook there as well with Automation Boutique. And then here's the episode. Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. In today's episode, we discuss how small companies manage treasury with Alex Aksentiev from Hedgeflows. Alex is an experienced fintech professional with over 20 years in leadership roles at major financial institutions. And he is now focused on revolutionizing small businesses and how they manage their international finance. Alex has a background in building ventures and a commitment to supplying foreign trade and aims to empower SMEs with cost-effective tools to compete globally. Headphones is the go-to solution for SMEs navigating international finances. It simplifies currency management and boosts profitability by seamlessly integrating with accounting systems. In today's episode, expect to learn what types of treasury software solutions are available for small companies, how do these solutions cater to the unique needs and constraints of SMEs, in what ways have these needs and expectations of treasures regarding software changed? What should companies consider when choosing to implement modular software solutions for their treasury operations? And much more. We hope you enjoy this episode. And if that's the case, when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are it was through word of mouth, social media, or recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And our request to you remains only one please do help the show and go subscribe to our YouTube channel at Corporate Treasury 101. And it would mean the world to us and help other people learn about treasury. One more note, we listen to you. We'd put up a poll on our LinkedIn and we asked people, what do you guys like about Corporate Treasury 101? Do you like our long episodes or the shorter ones where we break down an episode into three smaller segments? That's how we get four episodes out a week. And you guys say you guys really listen to the long one and our download stats kind of show that too. So as of the week of February 12th, we will be only publishing one long episode. We won't be doing the shorter ones anymore and you guys can enjoy that and feel free to cut it up. And if you hate that decision, just let us know on LinkedIn. And with that, here's Alex. Alex, thank you so much for coming on Corporate Treasury 101. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Super excited about the conversation today. Most, we've always said that Treasury is a topic for big companies. Largely, you're typically talking about your uh, billion dollar plus in revenue. That's typically always the benchmark that we always talked about in Treasury. Now, in very fact, in our very first episode, we did talk about um trying to translate treasury in the context of a small company, like a, like a cafe, for example, uh, and what that means in terms of managing your treasury, payroll, cash. If you have multiple branches, how would you do that? If you're an international cafe, how would you manage that? So we've always used that example of small scale, but I think most of the treasurers listening today are, you know, you don't get group treasurer for a two shop cafe. Um, so I'm really interested, what type of treasury softwares are typically available and used by smaller companies? So it's a great question, and in a way, uh, that's pretty much like where we started, like our hedge flows. I think most businesses can't really afford what we probably 
call in corporate world the treasure management system because they kind of originally have been built for enterprise type of companies, right? Like you say, like a companies which make like a billion plus type of uh, like a numbers and revenues. Uh, those TMSs are typically too expensive and require implementation projects, which will take months and can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars or euros or whatever currency you're paying for for consultants. And uh, if your company not making those like billions of dollars, you can't afford expensive TMS system. And historically, small companies did not have much in terms of alternative solutions available to them. So even though they had similar problems, they were stuck with like traditional accounting systems and ERPs, which would have some sort of features which resemble what a, like a TMS would have, but at a very, very kind of basic level, especially if you start talking about managing international finances. And then probably over the last decade, we started to see emergence of what some people call like office of CFO. So like different tools which are being built for smaller smaller businesses, uh, you know, not, not the big multinational corporates, but address specific pain points in a kind of very pointed way. Right. So like a, they would go after payable automation, for example, like, you know, like a, which is frankly very similar to payments factor in the traditional TMS module or cash flow planning solutions or also solutions, obviously, for to access like working capital. So what we have seen probably until fairly recently when it came to SMEs or even mid-sized corporates, like typically the approach was like a go and solve a specific pain point and then expand, land and expand into something else. So essentially what we currently have is like a, as a set of players who actually addressed one specific point and then trying to grow from cash flow planning into more payables, receivables, automation, and so on and so forth. But I think in a way it's interesting once you actually know the end point uh, that like big companies use. It kind of like leads to the conclusion. It's essentially kind of like we we're kind of just trying to use the new technology, which makes the solutions more affordable. But very often, majority of issues are pretty much the same. From our perspective in Hatchfalls, we started originally with risk management. It's in the name. Like, and, and, and what we've seen when we started, actually from the day one, it became very clear. Like in our case, like actually, it wasn't just about risk management, which was our original purpose everything when it came down to international finances like you know, dealing dealing in multiple currencies is painful so like our journey for the last three and a bit years actually has been similar like we started with one pain point we we did it fairly well and we having like having our clients coming to us what about this what about what about managing my deposits now like obviously they're not rates no longer at zero like what can i do to manage my free cash better or what can I do to plan my kind of uh, liquidity in multiple currencies without making it too complicated? So I think we kind of, as I said, we're evolving towards kind of a similar solution. It's not going to be possibly called treasure management because very often when we speak to smaller businesses, the reaction is like, well, I don't have a treasure. Why don't you do a system? Reality is that I'm sure we'll talk about it. It's like, well, actually you have still the same needs. It may be not be called the same way, but ultimately you're solving the same pain point. So how do you define an SME in this case? If we just go back to like, if what, as of when does this kind of thing become interesting? Yeah. So what we found is that we, when we originally, so our, we actually started hedge flows because we saw how difficult it is to sell risk management to SMEs. And by SMEs, I mean, 
kind of like uh, originally we, we thought it would be like probably relevant f- to businesses from 1 million in turnover and more. And what we have learned actually when a business is probably below 10 million, they have a lot of other problems they need to sort out first, right? So when it comes to hedging, it was probably not the like a top of the list. They possibly could save money on international transfer, so they may benefit still from payments automation, etc. But like hedging is like typically not the top of the list, unless obviously we just had a big currency crisis or or something like that. So what we find is like essentially the sweet spot for for what we consider kind of alternative to, to TMS starts around 10 million and we see clients coming looking for at our solution like a, to the tune of 250 billion. So way past what the traditional SME is. So like I was essentially kind of saying, it's really kind of for larger SMEs and mid-market corporates, which are being underserved by a combination of banks and traditional TMS providers. And do these guys have like unique needs there is a bit of a backward question. Typically, I can understand, and most people can understand that as you become a bigger company, you have more needs and you have new unique needs from there. Are there any problems that smaller corporates have that the larger ones don't in terms of their treasury? Would you say that? Well, I think they have all the same problems, but like depending on the industry and size, they may be kind of showing up in a different way, but like, you know, start with payments. Right. So like if you're doing, if you're in business and you're doing payments, you're doing hundreds of payments. Right. And, uh, and if it's domestic payments, you probably can easily connect to your bank's portal, it's iPortal, bank line uploads, your flat files in there. Not that it's probably the most modern way to process the payments these days, but it kind of works. But when it, when you start doing international payments, what happens, all of these businesses still kind of having to key in individual payments one by one and use the templates in, 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 in kind of these portals, which probably is similar to how kind of larger kind of corporations were doing it in the past, but until the kind of emergence of uh, payments factories, right? So in this day and age, and that was probably one of the biggest surprise when we started is like, you know, uh, we, we didn't expect this still to be happening, but you know, it's true that actually even the businesses of a hundred million turnover don't really have easy ways to process international payments. To me, it was very, very shocking situation to be in, but it was a fairly easy kind of magnet for us to build to to start getting clients where they can just easily connect, integrate the ERP, like select invoices they need to pay, process them in multiple bulk functionality across different currencies. Risk management even worse, right? So, uh, you know, if you are in an industry which is exposed to currency fluctuations, you would actually argue that smaller businesses are more exposed, they are more fragile. They kind of don't have access to capital or, or lending. If, for example, their cash flow has been affected by a sudden currency move. So they have the same problem, but an interesting fact is like, and this is British business bank survey from a couple of years ago, only 4% of UK SME exporters. So by, by construct, they typically have a, a currency risk, actually manage currency exposures, right? And when we started looking at, when we started hedge flows, actually, like we found that the reason really wasn't that they were getting bad prices or lack of transparency, even because they kind of have a mechanism of shopping around and getting the transparency they need. It's really the biggest problem was, you know, they don't really have to do, know how to do it. And that's possibly one biggest difference between larger corporations, which can afford to 
by a team as that's already helps but more importantly hire a team of trained treasury specialists the starting point for most small businesses is like yeah hypothetically i understand that can help i've been sold this by banks by fx brokers many other providers who can i trust how to do it properly and they have many of them have been burned by trying and failing and kind of have a very high degree of skepticism to actually doing it going forward. So when we started Hedge Loss, our view was, and because actually we saw the same when I was like, you know, again, in my role, I was running FX derivatives business for a large bank, selling everywhere in, in different international markets. We sold to large corporates and had fantastic relationships and feedback from them. But when it came to trying to do the same in terms of risk management to smaller businesses, clearly there was some sort of information gap between like, we'd never knew kind of went to approach the clients when they had and they had the need and they kind of didn't know what good looks like. So our approach is actually technology should empower these smaller businesses to learn and start being able to decide what's right for them rather than being sold to. I really like that. It's an interesting perspective. So the smaller companies typically don't have access to this, I mean, obviously the same working mind capital that a larger company would in most cases. And a lot of products perhaps are also just off limits to them inside the banks because they're not, banks aren't interested. They're, they're too small to be profitable for them. So they perhaps don't even have access into those, into those rooms, into those calls, into those products that they perhaps need to be able to manage get thing. And then I like what you said there, like every cent counts more in a smaller company. So it also gives a bit of unique criticality, right? Yeah. And it's interesting what you said in terms of like banks perceiving it as not, not worthwhile exercise. And I think, again, from my own experience, banks have been trying to do it, uh, but it's essentially kind of in a way, as long as you're trying to do it through the traditional relationship, sales relationship model, it's a lot harder to reach so many smaller businesses, right? So it's like, and again, like you sort of like essentially the challenge is banks don't know enough about their SME clients. So like my example, I use, use kind of like use very often, like when we were dealing with large multinational corporations and they, like, you know, for example, at some point there were concerns about, you know, Chinese remaining revaluation, the bank would afford to fly me over to the West coast to see a large corporate to talk about what they could do about it. Because obviously the bouncy was worthwhile to kind of send some senior trader to, to speak about what can be done about it. And actually, obviously, a client on the other hand was like willing to kind of like openly discuss because there was a strong relationship and like we're essentially coming to the right solution for the right client and client trusting in it, like, a, you know, like an implementing it like a, in, a, in a way that kind of they felt was right. When you actually talk about small businesses, you don't have that type of relationship. You don't have kind of almost the opportunity to make enough money to spend time as, as a coverage to ask all those right questions. Right. So like what, what typically banks or kind of like other providers will do is like, they will try to periodically call and see like, can we do something for you? And that is a sales call. That's just trying to get the business right. While actually it was all, all kind of, everyone knows that it's a lot easier to sort of, to sell your product when you actually have it at the moment of kind of whether it's pain or kind of like a need or however you call it, but ultimately. Most adults are able to decide themselves when they need something, right? So as long as actually you give them the tools to be able to do it and learn how to do it right, 
that's what ultimately works. I, again, sort of another example I use is like this is what Xero did with accounting software, where effectively previously kind of small businesses had to pay for accounting services, which were kind of very mundane and routine tasks, but, you know, like used to cost a lot of money to accounting firms. You know, solutions like Xero actually, you know, by offering the tools which pretty much anyone can use, move that service to businesses themselves while actually accountants are able to refocus on more value add services instead. And I think we're kind of trying to do the same with our technology when it comes to bridging the gap between the banks and kind of smaller businesses. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. And so these departments, these companies, sorry, don't really have treasury departments, right? They have, I guess, the CFO, that's the one that manages the treasury? Could be called, yeah, or... could be called CFO, could be called a finance director, right? Um, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. not even like those, like, uh, like some companies will just have a finance manager. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, like uh, you're right, it's often... It's often like a like a, you know at the stage when they hired someone with a kind of a degree of seniority in terms of essentially like you know a job of like sorting out financial planning as I like to call it. It's like you know not just looking backwards, right? Like where you actually just like account for things, but actually starting to plan your finances, managing kind of like your future financial needs. Like I usually call the job of a treasurer is like. They their job is to make sure the company can meet the financial commitments to suppliers, creditors, and employees at all times, right? So if you think about it, like you know, when you see for in a small smaller company, that's pretty much your job description as well. Plus, possibly raising investment and other things. But uh, you know, the the probably the biggest burden falls on the shoulders of like finance director or CFO. Um, okay, so now I like the way you describe treasury operations and everything. That makes a lot of sense. So. The relevance of the software to these smaller companies is really, I liked what you said about technology is there to, I think there was a statement somewhere that was like, technology is there to democratize things that were exclusive to the elite down to people uh, further down in the in the chain as well. And so you're essentially using technology. And the accounting example you gave is really, really relevant, I think, where we went from, you need to go off and hire someone to be able to do uh, your accounting as a small company uh, because you don't have access to an ERP to help you with it, for example, or anything like this. Uh, you don't have an SAP. You're never going to build in an SAP or anything like this. You would have to hire an accountant to mundane tasks. Now we have software to be able to do that even for the smaller companies to make accountants a lot more value add. Do you see like smaller companies, the landscape of technology, is that, has it been linear like that? Or have you seen other developments of how technology is almost democratized financial services for small companies? I think it changed a lot after the pandemic, right? So I think in a way, the pandemic probably was one of like, well, actually, maybe it's just the, the only benefit of pandemic that uh, like I could kind of name was how SMEs embrace the like remote work and like ability to connect to the data remotely. Because obviously, like a lot, a lot of solutions that like we offer uh, existed previously and have been used by larger corporations, but for a variety of reasons, the adoption for SMEs wasn't as high, right? So like a, even like as recently as like a three or four years ago, like a, if you were to speak to kind of an SME client, they would be talking about on-premise accounting software, Excel spreadsheets, PDF being like emails flying around back and forth in terms of how data was being 
transferred. And I think there has been a fairly dramatic shift, both from clients or users' perspective, how they actually use the data, but equally as a result, how the software providers, you know, like actually starting to talk to each other. So like that's kind of the introduction of the whole APIs and 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 starting to integrate between a CRM to accounting system to like TMS or like the equivalent and sort of like a almost like cross connectivity, which like it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been possible for hedge flows to do what we do currently, where we connect to like say a fairly large accounting system in minutes, importing all their accounts payables, receivables, data, sales and purchase orders, and crunching the numbers and in a matter of minutes showing them how much risk they have, you know, and what they can do about it. Right. This typically used to be an exercise which was only kind of like uh, available to your point to larger businesses either where large multinational corporations would get banks coming to them and saying like, look, we could do this analysis for you and give us some business, right? Which is kind of like a, you know, probably quite familiar to all the large multinational corporations or the treasury consultants who can do the same work for probably small, smaller businesses typically, but equally do the same job. Like it's just essentially they're filling the gap that banks are living like it is as a word, because like you say, like those clients are not big enough for their kind of financial markets divisions to throw the resources at them. But the approach there is like, again, we're going to get your data. We're going to have a human or a team of humans crunch the numbers. We're going to prepare the presentation, pitch to you, trying to get either some business in return or, or kind of earn consultancy fees, which by itself makes it a, an exercise where you have to charge intensive, not hundreds, thousands of, you know, like a pounds or dollars or euros, right? And as a result, this is kind of where almost the uh, the hedging adoption, for example, stops for for smaller businesses. Like you can't really do it if you only stand to lose ten or twenty thousand in a year, right? But ten to twenty thousand in a year is meaningful amount of money for a business which kind of could otherwise be growing and eventually grow a lot bigger. I think hedging, what again, hedging is there to allow people to trade and grow more safely, right? So uh, if you don't do it well or you lack the confidence because sort of you're taking the financial risk otherwise, you're probably going to be like, you know, like not growing as much. And by actually implementing solutions which allow people to kind of trade and grow faster, you kind of essentially, our view is like you're actually allowing them to ultimately compete with larger businesses, you know, in a more like um, equal way. Um. No, no, no. Super interesting indeed. So, I, yeah, pandemic, perhaps the only good thing about the pandemic indeed was, I think, across the board, adoption of technology, right? Uh, and reliance on technology to be able to do everything. I mean, more and more people learned what contactless was, just a very, very simple example, where it was adopted immensely as well in the consumer level. And it's interesting, I never thought of that perspective that also on the corporate side, all of a sudden, all these companies had to be able to connect to each other because the clients were demanding them straight away. APIs have been around for ages, but I don't think anything had been adopted as quickly as it had uh, during that period indeed. And it was just born out of necessity to push us all into that indeed. So would you say that was probably the main significant technological advance or was there any technological advancement? Because like I said, APIs have been around for a while. Were there any other like real technology breakthroughs that came out in this period? 
I think it wasn't, like I say, it wasn't a breakthrough. It was in terms of technology, but actually the adoption, it, like it was probably the critical point. I think obviously when it comes to like, you know, essentially other, again, like uh, you could argue it's, it's the technology, open banking did help, right? You know, uh, it has its promises. Like it, it kind of, you know, and we're starting to see tangible benefits, even though I think that banks have frankly tiptoeing towards adopting it properly. Like, you know, because again, traditional banks are, you know, have to be on a conservative side and we're seeing in, like in how the open banking is being adopted. But for example, when it comes to open banking, like traditionally, like a TMS systems had to rely on host-to-host -host connections. Again, like a, like a, you know, connectivity was there, but available only to people who could afford the systems which rely on host-to-host and can pay for those integrations. Open banking like easily makes it a lot more accessible to a lot of solutions and ultimately end users to kind of to connect to the data, to leverage the data, to do analysis, to automate processes and so on and so forth. So I think it's, I'm kind of hoping it, it will actually continue to produce more results. It's definitely a, a pretty, you know, sensible initiative. It's just probably one of those where trying to impose it on banks just takes longer than everyone hoped when it, when it first started. And second, obviously, like, you know, frankly, like obviously AI has landed with a splash last year it will have huge consequences for how they can do jobs in finance, right? But what we're seeing is like, and again, maybe just specifically with our type of clients, actually, like we, we see a lot more benefits in starting to use the AI where humans are weak, where there's catching errors, whether it's cleaning data, whether it's spotting like new trends, risks and opportunities, rather than fully automating and relying on it to sort of process, execute, make decisions without, without the supervision. I'm definitely in a camp where like combination of connectivity and availability of data, um, kind of almost like robotic uh, processing um, and automation in general, helping and AI is almost the next level of like, you know, actually both combining the spread of knowledge and best practices to kind of a lot smaller businesses and empowering them to do stuff which they otherwise would never be able to do. And kind of, again, I think it's kind of pretty fertile ground for especially smaller businesses to benefit because essentially like if you give like smaller guys the tools which kind of lets them compete and grow faster, you know, it kind of like, you know, again, levels the playing field and gives them kind of like an opportunity to go and trade, not just in kind of smaller home market, but, you know, like don't worry about the financial consequences of trading with, with, with the US or Europe and, and so on and so forth. So I guess, I mean, across the board then, with all those changes, I guess clients and treasurers or let's say finance managers in these companies and these SMEs are almost expecting this now, right? It, it moved from something that didn't exist at all to something that was born out of necessity, something that's just a base expectation. It's like, what do you mean you can't integrate in with my provider here and I can't get that information into there? I need someone to do it manually. Do you see that become an expectation? And if so, have you seen enough software vendors adapt or do you think there's still gaps for the SME market in terms of software in this regard? I think there's the, still gap. I think the standard is not where it can be. Like, uh, I think for example, like connectivity. So essentially at the moment, and again, sort of, I'll, I'll take example of like one of like large ARPs is like, essentially they rely on 
kind of the essentially the consultants implementation consultants to like integrate a lot of their solutions and essentially in a way there is like skewed uh incentives there in terms of how to, how to kind of how to do things kind of do it more on a project base basis rather sort of like people very often get surprised when we kind of tell them you can integrate with this you know erp in in a matter of minutes you don't really need to spend next two weeks hiring consultant to do to do certain things you know we had examples where someone like a large client of ours has moved from zero because they grew so fast to to dynamics and they actually been able to port what they do with us in a matter of two days and kind of spending months to do some of the other functions that the finance team performs so i think i mean there's definitely still a fairly kind of diverse like a degree of like sort of you know, embracing it especially to small businesses possibly just because like again like a you know people see opportunity to make money otherwise but like opportunity is definitely there like i guess like one of our competitive advantages we found is actually like with small businesses like one of the biggest challenges they have is that they're time poor like i thought all finance people are time poor even like a large corporates until i saw kind of smaller businesses they run 16 jobs at the time and essentially for them a project even two-week project is a long project Right. Uh, so ability to show and demonstrate results and value from actually integrating your system in a matter of like a hours or days is huge for them. So, you know, like giving them easy wins is probably again one of uh, this kind of other big differences that we've saw from like what you big corporates demand where it would be like six months project and it will be planned we'll have a like specific team and and consultants hired for it versus essentially the way it works typically with businesses under 100 million they kind of they they, they realize they need something and they start searching for solutions and the next thing is for them is actually they want to try it out and compare it right so uh, giving them the option of like actually fairly quickly try it and see the benefits is huge and i kind of do believe that like if if I were now sitting in a corporate and sort of like you know like being serviced by a fairly kind of solid incumbent, whether it's financial service providers or software providers, I would be looking at actually experimenting with tools which have been built in the last say probably five, maybe of maximum seven years, where effectively they they tap into this like recent like a, like a recent trends, whether it's we talked about APIs, cloud-based solutions you know, like uh, increasingly the adoption of AI. And I think that's where actually you get the most value for money from the technology you're buying, right? So, uh, because essentially if you more established incumbent, again, servicing SMEs is hard, right? It's probably kind of well-established fact that actually like, you know, once you, once you established your foothold in a SME market, like typically large players become a lot more cautious and stop innovating as much as kind of otherwise like um you know like they're kind of new kind of like startups like in our case like you know like we we always kind of bring new stuff out because we need to get to a stage where you actually can sort of like show that it's 10 times better than their existing solution and like you know definitely if i were to give one advice to to your listeners is like there are tools out there which are fantastic not just hedge flows so like a you know the best way to actually approach it obviously read reviews you know, if you're using ERPs which have marketplaces, you know, like uh, read the reviews there, kind of book the demos, have a look and try it, right? Because, you know, like our best clients actually found us themselves, but because they had specific needs and 
kind of as as more startups like you can almost see like when actually a client has a specific need and they're very quick to integrate and start using a specific feature from there it kind of actually kind of like snowballs into kind of mutual benefits and like you know the clients start to unlock more benefits they see the value they start to trust your solution and again the way we do it we actually even though we predominantly our biggest expertise is in risk management a lot of clients will start using us for a simple thing as payments automation but what actually it does is like in, for them to actually understand whether it works or doesn't for them takes a day right that essentially whether payment run either worked or it didn't right and then it's like it's very clear very quickly and uh, you know they tried for some time but because they already integrated their systems our software actually starts to flag them opportunities, whether it's their risks or or kind of like, you know, lazy working capital and, and so on and so forth. So like, they're, like, you know, again, the technology is there to sort of almost guide you towards like possibly solutions to your needs, which you often actually possibly think, oh yeah, I know it's a problem, but I have 20 other priorities and kind of like, you know, until like really it becomes really a big problem, I kind of like don't touch it. Like essentially, if we, if you start using some solutions which are kind of like solving a small problem, it becomes a lot easier than just to start you know bit by bit adopting other bits. No, indeed. And so that brings us really nicely into the other thing we wanted to touch on, which is modular software, which is something that seems to be coming up really a lot, and especially modular treasury software solutions. So, could you explain what those are and how they benefit these SMEs? Yeah, so, but yeah, I think modular software is not a new concept as well as, as the way it was talked about the uh, treasury management systems. Like, like if you think about treasury management, like any kind of like well-established brand, they have modules as well. I think the only difference is like uh, when you're actually selling to possibly to larger businesses and there is a six months integration project, like to actually even to, to get it going, might as well do it for the full package, right? I think was, again, as I started talking about with the kind of the time poor nature of a typical CFO in a small and medium sized business, like uh, they, they do want to see kind of early wins and essentially in a way like modular approach actually helps them to sort of try and compare like early on, like, you know, there was a great study by, uh, I think it was Bain Capital, like about a year ago where they actually found that 80, 70 to 80% of like uh, CFOs that they uh, surveyed, like uh, we're interested in switching to a single vendor solution, right? So everyone actually wants to have a unified solution towards their kind of like treasury and FP&A and, and kind of all other finance functions, right? So which makes obviously complete sense because it's one solution which kind of like talks to itself and does work. But at the same time, a small business can't really splash out and buy everything in one go, right? So you know, like there are, there are modules which cost a lot more and take a long, longer time to sort of actually like realize the value, right? You know, good risk management module is, you know, like is, is, is kind of more expensive to, to build and run and so on and so forth. There are probably about two dozen payments automation solutions, right? So like if you, as a business, only think that like, you know, you don't really have risk management problem and not planning to have one, you know, like you, you can be just going after this payable solution, which is right for you. But if you a business, which think you, I don't have a problem now, but we're growing fast and maybe in six months time, I will need to start managing my risks. The benefit of starting with a payable solution, which can ultimately kind of like lead to you adopting a good cash flow management program, you know, uh, 
kind of uh, pretty high. And that's, I think, that kind of how we see the, the modular bit. So, like, there is, there, there's, in our case, there is a module about AP automation. There is one about cash visibility. You know, like, a, you know, the risk management we talked about plenty. Increasingly, people asking for solutions about kind of monitoring their kind of like, you know, like access liquidity and where to put it in deposits in either to get the best available yields or or to diversify in line with the kind of treasury policies. So again, kind of as we talk about it, it's all the bits which kind of typically would exist in traditional treasury management system. But the, the only difference, you essentially kind of pick and choose what you can start with. The main benefit, you know, like you actually integrate very quickly with your underlying systems, which could be like your ERP, could be your spreadsheets, depending on what you're actually kind of trying to accomplish. And you start using something which ultimately you sort of like getting to know and like, you know, like, a, and, and trying it out. The end game is, as we talked in the beginning, still sort of like you, you try to sort of work towards the right package for you. And again, you know, like for some people, it will be just one module of others. It will be 50% and kind of like, a, you know, for, for some others, it will be like, you know, like pretty much all the available modules. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so how do these different ones connect? to each other. So, I mean, the, the single solution, the vendor solution makes complete sense, um, mainly because, no offense, vendors are just a hassle a lot of the time. <laughs> and as a company, as a corporate, if you have, you've got, if you have five companies that you're working with, you have five helplines that you need to get through at varying quality levels. You have uh, five points of failure, potentially, that could go wrong in the entire process. You have, you know, like five people that are accountable for that thing being fixed as well. But at the same time, you can have much more specialist solutions, right? You can have the best in class for one for your FX risk, because that just gives you a much better rate, perhaps, on your hedges uh, versus, you know, the best in class solution for your APAR. So there's also that side of things as well, right? Yes, absolutely. And then that's where, again, sort of like the trade-off really lies into sort of understanding and kind of what your kind of almost like future needs may be and also asking what are, you know, like the like product roadmap of a potential kind of software power provider you're considering. Because as we discussed, like actually, especially in SME space, it's a bit of a sort of like race to build an equivalent of um, kind of TMS, right? So like they will did pretty much everyone you can think of are sort of like adding more features features every every uh, you know every every few months. So I think I think you're right in a way like it's sort of like a best in class versus kind of uh, one size fits all. But I think it's also like in a, we kind of for example position ourselves like f as as a solution for international finances. So like our, our brand promise is to make international finances safe and simple, right? So if you trade internationally, whether it's a SaaS company or travel business or logistics and wholesale, like a typically kind of like, you'll have very specific problems around sort of dealing in multiple currencies. And frankly, like, you know, from, from what we saw when we started is like, actually the multi-currency bit in most systems which existed to date was an afterthought. So you kind of first start building whatever you're building, right? You know, whether it's cash, cash flow planning or, or payment solution. And then you kind of realize that people need to do it in multiple currencies and they have multiple entities and like those are kind of in, in different functional currencies and, and so, on, so on and so forth. And like 
multi-currency feature is a bolt-on, right? That makes the whole bit fairly clunky and less kind of reliable. And that's kind of, I guess, where we come in in terms of actually from get-go, we kind of thought actually we, we're building stuff for kind of businesses who want to trade and grow more internationally. Multi-currency is important. There are a lot of problems around it and we're kind of here to solve it. That's that's our approach, and kind of when we say best in class, that's our best in class. It's not the best in class in APR or or risk management. It's best in class on specific kind of like type of business needs, right? The same approach could be like doing something for a specific industry. So I think again, I, like the trend towards my, my personal views, the trend towards kind of you know like more more features is kind of like a, again playing out. It has played out in in CRMs, in again, the, the um, kind of like it's sort of communication, we went from telephones to now like, you know, like integrated sort of like a video conferencing, podcasting tools like, like, like this one. And uh, so it's all kind of, kind of, you know, evolving into kind of like, you know, ultimately the sort of, there is a balance between having a right bound, the kind of set of features, right? You know, as the kind of best in class one specific tool. But I think where you write this, actually, it's probably more around actually being best in class for, for someone rather than in, in best in class in specific functionality. Hmm. Hmm. Super interesting. And do you, have a, do you have a hard and fast rule about when a culprit should go for one or the other approach? That's a good question. I would probably say again, like probably showing my financial market stripes, I would go with like a return on investment as the uh, the main metric. So like, like you know, ultimately the higher uncertainty and again, like, you know, like I'm a former options trader. So like, you know, like essentially trying to guess what you'll need in the future is, is, is guesswork as a predictions are involved, like in a, and so I kind of ultimately, if you can demonstrate that there are greater returns and sort of like then trying to guess how, how much extra you're going to get from extra features, that's what I would be trying to focus on rather than sort of like essentially, like, again, thinking about SMEs, like they are not exactly kind of cash rich as well. So typically will probably sort of like identifying the exact immediate needs, maybe like planning for the next year. So you don't have to be. Like again, sort of from, from experience, switching systems is even more expensive. Again, like I see it with people who like move the ARPs. It's probably one of the most painful experiences I see our clients going through, right? So like it's, it always takes, you know, four times longer and, and kind of even more in terms of a kind of overspend. So like there is an element of sort of like planning a little bit ahead, but unless you're sort of pretty well-established business, which will be kind of working the same way in five years time, plan for the next year or two. And that kind of, that's the functionality you should be trying to get. ROI, ROI is king, fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Um, so Alex, thank you so much for taking us through that. I think we got a much better case of the landscape overall. Now you've touched on it already a little bit. I think we have a bit of an idea, but I'd like to give us the, the, the clean pitch. So what does hedge flows do and yeah what are you guys all about yeah sure so again so we started hedge flows like almost four years ago now after like my co-founder and i had like two years in in, in banking and financial markets as i mentioned like we were 
you know, essentially helping. Well, we're, we were on the trading desks, but as we became senior, kind of anyone senior becomes a salesperson. So we would actually have to go and speak to a lot of multinational corporations and, and present on different kind of workshops and conferences. And my topic was risk management, similar for my kind of co-founder, whether it's multinational corporates or institutional investors, we kind of predominantly focused on how to not lose money on, um, on, on currencies or interest rates. And original kind of idea behind hedge loss, as I mentioned earlier, was like, how do we actually make it easier for smaller businesses to do that, like IE risk management. So, and it is still kind of one of the probably biggest USPs of what we deliver. So we kind of give people the confidence. I like how one of our clients described, like we gave them the confidence to do the right thing. So they, they knew theoretically they needed to do something. They actually used some FX brokers who kind of like promised them to how to implement hedging, but kind of like, again, like a, because of this kind of dynamic where kind of the, the, in this case, the brokers didn't know enough about the clients, like it didn't work our solution. And again, sort of like bit of like initial handholding, like when we kind of onboarded the clients actually helped them to put their processes that they own and, and know and understand and can change at any point in time, right for their business. So like the risk management is ultimately our specialty, but as I said, like ultimately around that, we've built the whole suite of solutions, which make everything international a lot simpler and safer, right? You know, when you send money overseas, first of all, like the, uh, the amount of kind of manual errors, which come with international payments is huge. And, you know, trying to recall international payments is extremely painful and costly and lengthy process. The international fraud is kind of growing pandemic as well. Unfortunately, like, you know, like we, we have the authorized push payment fraud in, in every country, like when it comes to domestic payments, but at least banks can do something about it. They're trying to sort of like, whether it's confirmation of payee, like and solve that issue. When it comes to international, there is nothing to, to help that. We're trying to build tools, which kind of help businesses to avoid kind of like, you know, and, and like reduce the risk of fraud so as, as part of the payments, saving them a lot of time on kind of on their payment runs, like reconciling back to their accounting systems, removing all the things, which kind of people really hate doing. So the interesting fact, which we found was like, when we first started, we actually were asking what we call like a magic wand question is like essentially all our prospective clients would ask them, how would you like to change your international, how you run your international finances, if you could do anything, if you had a magic wand and usually would get an answer, which would be something like, oh, I definitely like doing business internationally. It's great. It's like we're growing faster, but ideally I would like for everyone to trade with me in pound sterling, if it's a UK company or euros, if it's a European company, et cetera. So everyone wants to trade in their own currency, right? Which is obviously not going to happen. And as we kind of try to dive deeper on like why it happens, it was actually quite interesting. And this is again, where kind of like we were asking questions about the risks and people was giving us like a list of their pain points over the time. It's like, again, I talked about the fraud. I talked about reconciling the right numbers to, to their accounting system, planning cash flows in multiple currencies in presence of currency volatility. How do you set up your budget trades and, and how do you plan your cash flows to reduce what typically corporate, large corporate would know, like, you know, manage your kind of like, you know, a financial kind of statement of volatility from one, one period to the next large, large corporates, you'd know, obviously it's a hedge flow hedging program. So all of these things essentially something that people kind of actually get anxiety when they talk about it. And 
it's natural. It's kind of, it's sort of like foreign in the name. So like foreign means kind of like, I know less about it. And like, we kind of like essentially use the technology to do that, to, to let people automate a lot of it, right? Sort of crunching the numbers, automating processes, reconciling back automatically to their systems, giving them alerts, producing the reports so that they actually don't have, they don't have to do it themselves. So I would say kind of typically clients come to us either because like they, they kind of grew to the size where they want to start managing the risks or someone on the board is starting to ask questions about why they have financial kind of volatility they didn't want to see otherwise, so they want to do it better. Or smaller businesses would also start by saying, okay, actually I have all these payments. It takes me like kind of five days a month just to process, you know, like a dozen payments per week, you know, sort of like to international banks and then sort of like reconcile it back to my, my system. So like, like removing all this kind of, kind of, um, you know, otherwise kind of like redundant processes is kind of what hedge loss does, but also like we essentially help kind of like, you know, a lot of small businesses learn about the best practices that they kind of bigger peers have. Hmm. And so what's the, um, how do you link that with all the different topics we touched about before? So you said before that you're really a specialist, you're a best in class solution for your FX risk management, right? Um, all the topics we've talked about, can you relate like hedge flows back to those? Like how would you fit those together? Yeah. So I think, I think like the ability to show the value very quickly, like, um, you know, as we talked about, like, uh, SMEs are ultimately like time poor and they want to try something fairly fast. This is probably was like one of the cornerstones, how we build our solutions. The focus on almost like giving them the tools and almost teaching them how to use it in a technological way. So they actually can start doing it. Like we talked about like zero example. So we're kind of like pretty much doing the same thing. We're trying to empower them to do as much as possible. We're still there. So like we kind of, you know, sort of like we have a team which can get on a call and help kind of our clients with, with the issues they don't know what to do. So it's almost like, like, you know, what banks would do otherwise with, with their kind of larger corporate clients, but the only difference, like we actually then can get the same you, our clients get and see actually what their risks are. And we're no longer talking theoretical, what I should do it. We're actually giving them advice about their business, not the generic advice, how to build a balance sheet hedging program or how to set up your kind of approval process. Right. So like, a, the ability is sort of like where, like, because the data is already connected, gives us sort of a lot more insights and ultimately helps sort of kind of guide our clients, like, you know, to do like the right thing and establish the right processes. And, you know, we're working towards, you know, partnerships with banks and other providers as well. So like we talked about the connectivity. So uh, from my experience, you know, like there is a reason why banks have been slow in, in rolling out some of these features. We're talking about difficulty of Ser servicing SME markets, uh, but also it's, you know, again, like if you're a large bank, you're sitting on legacy systems, everyone knows about it, but we probably got to a point where kind of banks and like sort of like starting to engage more with uh, fintechs. And that's where we're trying to play in is ultimately connecting banks with their SME clientele and helping both sides ultimately to extract more value from kind of essentially rolling out the solutions that they bigger kind of clients already have. So, um, and again, I think 
from what I saw, like, you know, again, another typical example, I talked about 4% of SME exporters hedging. You know, uh, when we look at our own population, we got this number to 70%. So we actually, we showed already that actually, if you give the right and easy tools and you actually use the data that our clients kind of have and essentially just crunch and show them the numbers, they come to the same right conclusion, but because they haven't been sold, right? They're actually a lot more willing to start doing the right thing themselves. And idea ultimately is ultimately, you know, partnering with the banks, like there is a huge kind of you know, opportunity with you know, hundreds of thousands of SMEs just in the UK to kind of start better managing the risks, planning in their kind of future cash flows and grow more internationally. Hmm. So my only question uh, overall, I think it's amazing what you guys are doing, I especially love the just the overall idea of bringing those tools that are available to the the bigger players down to the smaller ones, right? And that that they're there because they're useful. So it's just about an access issue, right? And that's where technology is playing a big role. And another reason why they're not there though is because the smaller, the SMEs, the volume of their transactions is just much lower. And therefore the spread that you have on each on each deal is it's just much smaller overall, right? So how do you tackle that? Is it just a matter of, is it more expensive as an SME versus a bigger player just because you're dealing with lower volume? It might still just be half a percent or, or whatever, but it still has to be a little bit more just because the margins are slimmer. Or can you really achieve the same cost structure? I, and again, this is where technology comes to play. And downstairs, is, yes, you can achieve a lot lower cost structure. So if you think about it, that's what Wise and Revolut did for retail, right? So like, uh, you know, it, it's, and I have been saying this for, for years, more than a decade now, like that actually if someone does the same for SMEs, kind of like it, it, it can be even bigger. Like ultimately the difference, I guess, to when it came to retail with, with effects, it's like, okay, you just lower, you offer, offer like lower spreads and you give them good if, uh, kind of UX and, and ease of use and sort of like it, it spiraled and eventually it took a long time, but it works and it, they kind of have proven the, the fact that actually HSBC now uses a fintech technology to roll out a competitor um, you know, to Vice and Revolut, like, you know, hasn't been gone un unnoticed for me. Like they're not using the old legacy systems. They had to do it using the fintech solution behind. So I think the same kind of like will be playing out with kind of at least the uh, SME, but I, I probably suspect with the corporate banking in general, right? The challenge for banks is their like legacy stack, right? And possibly kind of obviously like uh, the, the human inertia, but Again, what we're doing is, you know, if you think about it, it's like instead of trying to call the client every day just to try to learn about them and and get the business and give them the right advice in the right time when actually they, there is a need for advice, which is obviously not a sustainable model with small businesses. That's why it doesn't really work. We're essentially given the technology solution, which doesn't cost much to on a marginal kind of item to, for them to start using it. And frankly... And again, that's where possibly the, the big difference versus sort of like larger TMS systems, you know, because it doesn't cost that much to integrate and licenses is not expensive. You can start using it early on, you know, very, very, you know, very quickly sort of like we combine actually in our case, we, we have a hybrid business model. So we actually charge transactional revenues for flows that clients decide to kind of process through us. So for example, 
you can use us as a just software solution and like look at the risks, but you can also use us as essentially kind of a payments service provider and FX broker equivalent for, for managing and transactional stuff. But a hybrid revenue model will give you the right sort of value spread between what clients extract and like ultimately at what we get paid for delivering better technology and a, and a better service to that users. Amazing. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Or if not, where can people go to find you? I think that's pretty much it. Like if, if again, sort of, we are always, the only thing I would add is like, if there are like, you know, like listeners out there who have a sort of like a, a risk management needs and kind of the idea of uh, looking at how it can be done better resonated, like uh, please do free to reach out. We, we do we do offer a free sort of consultation in terms of like, okay, this is how we could do better. But that was out kind of any commitment. We have a number of guides on our kind of website in terms of like, you know, how to do hedge, hedge flow, hedge, uh, sorry, cash flow hedging or balance sheet hedging and so on and so forth. So all of this stuff is like, uh, like regularly available for kind of like for anyone to, to read about and where to find kind of like a me or us, like you know, myself on LinkedIn, like Alex Xensiev and our website is hedgeflows.com. Yeah, please do reach out and uh, we're looking forward to kind of hearing from everyone uh, and uh, speaking again, hopefully soon. Amazing. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks again for having me.